Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we're happy to welcome a special guest. Her name is Erin McChristie. Yay! Hi, Erin. Hi. Hi. Erin <laughs> uh, is one of my oldest, dearest friends. We met when I was a freshman and she was a sophomore in high school. Does that sound right, Erin? That is correct. That is correct. So that is a very long time. And um, we're just so pleased to have her here. Just so excited. And um, one way we always start our episodes is by asking guests about their team. So in Aaron's case, it would be Team McChristy. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about your childhood family and your family now? Okay. I came from a pretty classic childhood family. Um, Mom, dad, still married. And an older brother who's seven years older than me. And then, um, wait, that's all, that's all I have in my family. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. And then right now, we only shook it up in that we had the girl first. And I guess <laughs> they're three years apart, but there's a girl and a boy. And I'm still married to their dad. And... <laughs> <laughs> Yay! They're nine and six right now. And wow, wonderful! How did that even happen? Nine and six—that's bizarre. Yeah, this is what I call the sweet spot. They're old enough to take care of themselves, but young enough to think that we hung the moon. So Aww. we're having a lot of fun right now. The adults get to sleep in, and they still entertain themselves and get breakfast and everything. But when we wake up, we get to do fun things. And, <laughs> and they're like, oh, you guys are fantastic. Oh, That's so great. I think I'm funny <laughs> still. <laughs> I think you're funny. <laughs> yeah, but there's going to be a time where... We're going to be the lame parents and that's okay. <laughs> well, something else that we uh, ask our guests is what their history with the show Parenthood is. So did you watch it when it was originally on? Or are you watching it for the first time? I mean, I know the answer, but our listeners do not. <laughs> I definitely watched it while it was still on. Absolutely. And I've caught a few episodes here and there since then. But so I haven't really um watched it in a while but one of the podcasts that I'm addicted to like that I listen to all the time is armchair expert with Dax uh -huh. and so I get some reminders on parenthood and I'm like oh I remember uh, the, <laughs> the references that you're making to the characters I totally remember so that's wonderful um also where are you joining us from today Oh, I'm in Springfield, Missouri. This is where I live, my my happy place. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Kansas with Melissa. And then I met my husband the day that I moved to Springfield. We lived 15 feet away from each other. So we've shared milk since the first day we met. And, <laughs> and we met and married here. And then we moved to Atlanta for seven years. And then we came back to Springfield because I loved Springfield. I love it here. Well, today we're discussing Parenthood Season 1, Episode 6, The Big O. It originally aired on April 6th, 2010. It was written by Lauren Schmidt-Hisrick and directed by Adam Davidson. And the official NBC synopsis is... 
Christina's constant worrying affects her and Adam's sex life, and the worrying only gets worse when Max starts working with Gabby, a young behavioral aide. Sarah debates whether she should go out on a date with Amber's teacher, Mr. Sear. Meanwhile, Crosby tries to muster up the courage to tell his parents about Jabbar, and Julia gets jealous of a mom in Joel's playgroup. It seems a little odd that they, in that synopsis, say a mom, as if it isn't one particular mom whom anyone watching the show would know already. But whatever. Yeah, this Raquel thing is not new. Yeah, right. just say her name. Right. But whatever. All right. Where do we begin? There's a, there's so much. Yeah, there's a lot that happens in this episode. I know. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was just fantastic. I kind of suckered Mark into watching it for a while with me. And he every time he's just walking by, he gets like, he gets sucked in. Perhaps we should start with... Friday Night Lights Alert! (laughs) (laughs) We had one in the very first episode, but that was minor. Sam Yeager was in one episode of Friday Night Lights. But... Minka Kelly, Lila Garrity herself. Oh, oh of course. Of yes. course. <laughs> this is her first episode on Parenthood as Gabby, the behavioral aide. And she's so terrific. What's crazy to me is that this season came on the air in 2010. Friday Night Lights was still airing. Obviously, Lila had left the show as like a regular, but... She's, I feel like, so believably played a high schooler on that show. And in this part, I never felt like, who's this child that they've hired to be a behavioral <laughs> aide? I mean, she's obviously young, mm-hmm. but she didn't strike me as too young to be believable. I love her. I totally buy her as someone with like expertise in this field. I was about to say, I don't know how she does that, but I, I do. It's like good acting. <laughs> I suppose. (laughs) That's the secret. (laughs) Yeah, she's terrific with Max. And I just continue to be impressed with this particular storyline and how well it seems that they're handling this idea of a kid with with Asperger's. And it's just, I don't know. And and every time I kind of, you know, again, kind of suck my husband into the world, uh, I usually want him to see the scenes with uh, Max just to be like, how do you think they're handling this? You know, because again, he's a special education teacher and and he works a lot with behaviors. And he said, man, they nailed it. And he, they, he said that uh, Gabby in particular was so good, like in the in the scene uh, with Max and Gabby for the first time. So we've been doing what you want for 20 minutes. It's time to try one of my games. No way. Hey, Max, be polite. Max, you get to choose whichever one you want. He doesn't like board games at all. We've tried. When you make a deal, he has to hold up his end of the bargain. Okay. (laughs) All right, Max, check this out. Cool. This is the deal, okay? Every minute you play one of these games, you get a sticker. I have a whole bunch of them in my bag here, all right? So you get up to 20 stickers, cash them in, you get the book. What do you say? How about I get the book first, then we play the game? I know how you feel, because you know what? I used to always want my dessert before my dinner. And it always turned out I had to have my veggies first, so. Yep. Forget it then. Max, honey, you know Max. what? Why don't we go get a cookie? Get no, a no, cookie. no, 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 yeah, no sure. cookies. You gotta stick with the plan. You're gonna be- okay. 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 Sorry. Okay. Max, no cookie today. The reward is the book. I want the book. 
So we're gonna have to play a game. No, okay. I want the right. book. You know, well, here's he has that tone. When he has that tone, it's all okay. bets are off. He's gonna it's lose okay. it. He's gonna it's lose okay. it. Listen, Max, nothing here is gonna change unless you put guacamole back in the cage. You make the choice. Yeah, this is exactly how it works. Setting the timer, laying out the expectations very, very clearly so you're not springing something new on him, holding, to, holding him to what you had decided on. Uh, he said the only thing that he wondered about was he was like, I think the very first time he would meet with a behavioral aide, she might experience a meltdown from him. He was like, it usually takes a couple of times before it's like that smooth. But he was like, other than that, it was just fantastic. So... I always kind of like to get his thoughts. Okay, first of all, I like felt legit frustration that Christina was even there. I was like, get her out of there. Kick her out. You are driving me crazy. Stop with the cookie business. How dare you get in the way of the therapist doing what she's doing? Like, I was, I don't know, because I don't work with Asperger's a lot, but I I do work as a parent and I'd, I can tell you that I would not get in the way of a professional doing their job. Get out of there. And I love her as a character, but I was like, somebody kick her out. No cookies. You don't get cookies. Why, uh, why would you interfere and be like, let's go get a cookie and cancel what this professional is doing. I'm sorry. I was very yeah, upset by her. I was very upset. Like, get out of there. Sorry. Well, it kind of coincides with what my reaction to that scene was, which was obviously she's trying to like instill some new behaviors in Max, but it also felt a little bit like she's training Christina as mm -hmm. well. You know, like she's noticing what Christina's impulses are and correcting those. Well, and I had the exact same um, opinion as as Aaron watching that. I was like, what is she doing? And I'm relieved to know you thought that, too, because I'm not a parent. So sometimes I talk myself right out of my reactions. I'm like, oh, but maybe, you know, if I were a parent, I would understand how difficult it is to just maybe not be the expert of my own child. She's like watching someone else understand her son's behavior better than she does. Ugh. You know, that would be really hard. But at the same time, when she said the part about let's go get a cookie, I lost my mind. I was like, what on earth makes you think that's going to help in this moment? I don't understand. Yeah, but the cookie thing. I was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in their very first scene, Gabby is meeting just with the parents and she asks them. OK, tell me, how's he doing socially? Does he have a lot of friends? Does he have playdates? No. No. Max doesn't really have any friends. OK, why don't we start there? That's good. God. I wrote down, how long does it take the writers to know that they don't have to do any more than like write one line and the actors will take care of the rest? And Melissa and I have talked about it in several of the previous episodes. Sometimes like Max doesn't really have any friends is the line. And if you just read it on the page, yeah, it has some impact. But man, when you put it in her mouth and with her face and then the music and everything, that one little line makes such an impact. And then I also wrote down after that hypothetical question, I put, must not take long. This is only episode six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's so good. Yeah, which her voice breaks and that just, uh, it broke my heart and it was just beautiful. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was impressed with like how well she played that. You're right with the one line thing. I know that a lot of the stuff on the show is improvised and I've had a lot of, like I've thought, which part of that was the actual line? They do a lot of talking over each other, which kind of drives me crazy about this. And the Friday Night Lights, I struggled with that as well because I was like, I can't hear what I'm actually supposed to hear and like what's happening right now. And <laughs> stop talk. somebody just stop talking so that I can hear what the main person is saying. And that's in other areas than this, but I have thought a lot about what what was actually written for the scene versus what is being improvised. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, you know, one thing I thought I would mention is um, Mark and I have talked quite a bit about uh, different like teachers and probably parents too, philosophies of um, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and how some people might think that it's like bribery or inappropriate to be giving Max like stickers, you know? And um, Mark felt very strongly that with a kid like on the spectrum or something like that, it makes a lot of sense to do something that's uh, reward system based because they often don't get the intrinsic like rewards that some of us get. You know, if we like make a new friend or if we say something that makes someone happy, they don't always have the responses for that, you know, that 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 just natural sort of feel good feeling. And I thought that was so interesting to think about because, you know, I think a lot of people would probably just scoff at what Gabby's doing and call it bribery and say, that's what's wrong with our country and medals for just showing up, blah, 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 or something. And I just wanted to like mention how I think what she's doing is really effective and tailored to where Max is, which is exactly what Dr. Parakeet said (laughs) that they should do is meet Max where he is. And so I think that's what Gabby's doing. I just wanted to mention that and see if you either of you had any thoughts about like the system that she's using I think it's great that she's making him work for the rewards I mean the whole everyone gets a medal thing is like no matter what you do you're going to get this medal whereas the sticker system is more of a you have to do something. You have to work in order to get this reward. And I honestly didn't know about the whole intrinsic thing. I really don't know much about Asperger's, honestly, but it's it was very interesting. I think it makes sense what she's doing, and you certainly can't argue with results. She gets him to change some behaviors right away. And like in the next scene, Adam calls her a babysitter, which Oof. I think like, I mean, the, the point of that scene is that she very quickly proves she's not just a babysitter. I also thought he mentioned they're paying her $30 an hour. I have no frame of reference for what someone who does this type of work would earn. But I know what I charge for an hour of vocal coaching, and it's not 30 I wouldn't be complaining about paying her $30 an hour to help my child. Absolutely. No, Mark was watching and he said, that's a steal. He was like, are you kidding me? So... Yeah. But aren't they paying like, is she working five hours a day with him every day? 
I wondered about that because I'm like, she is hanging out with them all day long. She just had dinner with them. And, you know, I'm like, hmm, maybe maybe $30 an hour would quickly get expensive if she lives with them now. Like, Absolutely. I'm cheesing, but, yeah. I was a little unclear just about how much time had passed between certain events in this thing. Because like, I mean, we see her on her first day, but not this all didn't happen on that one day, did it? And then like when Christina's saying, oh, things were so much better. They were so much better. I'm like, then 20 minutes ago? I <laughs> Yeah. Like, did you go to the park on the first day? I thought they did. I thought this was all one day, but I might be mistaken. The whole episode? Because then like Crosby finding out the results and telling his parents was on the same day? Okay, you're totally right. Yeah. It can't be. It was just, I. that would be one little note. One little note for the writer's room. Let's... <laughs> Let's delineate our timeline a little more clearly. Yeah. In that scene in the park, the little girl that Max plays with, Jessica, is played by Phoebe Kadams, who is the daughter of Jason Kadams. Oh, that's so cute. I didn't know that. No idea who Jason Kadams is. Oh, he is the creator of Parenthood. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad I really showed my, my name recognition there. Also, one little quibble. Max asks her... If she wants to play Foursquare. But there's only two of them. That's two square, friends. That's two square. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I, I, I was like, maybe kids these days have some newfangled version. I was like, no, you can't play. No. Unless you're like straddling two squares. And I would think Max, who's so particular about accuracy with things, wouldn't he care that, no, actually, we're playing two square. We're not playing four square. That's a it, good point. Exactly. And one time I saw the, like, this is how much I saw <laughs> This is crazy. But I saw that it landed on the line and I was like, no, no, you got to pick up the ball. And I haven't played this game since fifth grade. And I was just like, isn't he going to lose it? Because, but no, they kept playing and he didn't correct the whole thing. I was like, hey, that's not how you play it though. Isn't it wild the, the things that you become an expert in for brief periods of time? Because like there was a time in my life I could have told you, all these trick moves in mm-hmm. four square or two square, you know, like when you would go just over the line and they call that a typewriter when you would just like dribble it <laughs> over the line. So you're basically just screwing someone over, but they called it a typewriter. And now I'm thinking the kids these days don't even know what a typewriter is. That's true. I know nothing about two square or four square. I mean, I played it, but all those memory, I, I left that painful baggage behind, I guess. I don't, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> Did they have four square, two square at your elementary school? They did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Back then, really... we only had one square. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just we both went to the same elementary school, right, Caleb? Uh, oh, yeah, you guys did. Oh, Lake, we did? Lakeside. Lakeside? Lakeside. Yeah. Okay. So I knew there was four square and two square there. And I was oh, yeah. Like, we had Melissa it at George an outsider. She went <laughs> to the other elementary school. So. Well, also in that scene, we get this great little confession between Christina and Gabby. That's what nobody gets. So I try to explain just the worry. The worry never goes away. Like, I, I find myself up late at night just worrying about Max. And, Is there something we should have tried? Is there something we should try? when I'm not worried about him. I'm worried about the fact that I'm not worried about Hattie. When I'm not worried about Hattie, it's just like it never stops, you know? Adam and I, maybe we get a a chance to spend some time alone, Mm -hmm. just together. It's a miracle chance. It's like I cannot stop worrying long enough 
to enjoy anything, anything mm -hmm. like a movie or a nice dinner or sex. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I no, 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 no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Don't, don't tell him I said that. I won't. Because he does satisfy me. I'm sure a he lot. does. He's got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Melissa and I joke about how neither of us have kids, and yet we're hosting this parenthood podcast. <laughs> but I would totally believe that this is a feeling that is unique to parents. Absolutely. And yet I certainly sympathized. I'm a worrier. I, I can spin kind of out of control with worry about things. But I feel like the worry over your children must be something else. And like, you know, people say like having a child is like having your heart walking around outside your body. Absolutely. And I think, ah, I don't know what that's like. So Aaron, what, <laughs> since <laughs> you are like? a parent. Well, that is a mouthful. And I don't, I mean, I could take over this entire podcast just on this whole <laughs> scene because it's, I was like a mess. And while you were playing it, I was like, oh, this is going to get real serious real fast. Because absolutely, oh, the worry is exhausting. You know, I don't know how much detail you guys want to know, but I have a sickly child in that she was really sick as an infant. And now it's like reappearing as an older child and was probably going on between the two points. And so all that worry was just like nonstop. Am I doing the right thing? Oh my gosh. When she was like under anesthesia to see, they put a tube down her throat to see if there was something wrong with her esophagus. When she was under anesthesia for only like 10 minutes, I was just like, a mess like oh my gosh am I torturing her for no reason at all and I was actually so relieved when like the doctor's like oh my gosh she's got a lot going on down there and I'm surprised that this hasn't been more of a problem for her I'm like oh my god oh I'm not like awful I'm not an awful mom for putting her through this torture and it's just like the worry is non-stop am I raising them to be good adults you know they're really messy I'm not making them pick up enough I mean small things like that like oh their future husband or and wife are going to hate that they never do this or that and because we don't make them do enough they just the screen time thing with parents is just insane like the guilt over how much screen time and then you get comfort from other parents who are like you just do what you do to get through you know <laughs> it's like okay fine you so then the next day you're like you play on that ipad for six hours i don't care i'm so freaking tired right now and it really takes effort to set your partner as a priority to like say our relationship is important too. And there was a long time where it was a struggle because I know that they're only small and you only have this impression for this little time. And so then they like grow up and then it's like oh now we can focus on our relationship so let's just get through this part you know and that was my attitude was let's just get through the the kids being small and then I'll focus on you and so we had a lot of debates about like whether 
like he's like well we need to like stay connected as well you know and we have to set an example for them be good role model of what a healthy relationship looks like and maybe sometimes when the relationship is not healthy and how we work through that you know and letting them see that it doesn't always have to be like I don't know cookies and ice cream which Sage can't have ice cream so (laughs) cookies and smoothies she loves smoothies so it's really so much worry like while she was saying this I'm and when she was talking about and and then when I'm not worrying about Max I'm worrying about Hattie or why am I am I not worrying enough about Hattie I'm like yes I spend so much time worrying about Sage I'm not worrying enough about Wesley and then Wesley's having these problems and I'm not like spending enough time focusing on him and what he needs and he's just like this other kid who's just doing okay and so he doesn't get the attention not that going to doctor's appointments and giving medicine is a whole lot more but just the worry and I'm like why should I feel guilty about not worrying about a child enough so that's a lot (laughs) and (laughs) so I totally felt everything that she was saying everything that she was saying thank you for sharing all that with us like that was really (laughs) valuable because I think about that a lot like that's I think the main reason Caleb and I want to have guests because we have our own point of view but it's it's really good I think to get other people's points of view, especially parents on a show called Parenthood, you know, and, and for them to speak of, of like what Christina was going through, that means, that means a lot. And I think that's really necessary. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm with Caleb. I'm, I'm not a parent, but I, I feel anxious all the time. And, and I can't even imagine how much that would be amplified if I had children. Yeah. It's different. It's just a different kind of worry. It's not like I didn't worry before I had kids. It's just like I replaced it with different worry. I was talking to one of my good friends about how, oh, I'm on break from school. How great. Now I don't have as many things to worry about. And I was like, it's amazing how I can replace less worry on one thing and just like, you know, pile what I would have into another area of my life. Like now I'm going to replace that with something else. And it's like, oh my gosh, this anxiety thing is just like nonstop. So yeah. I guess my brain has to stay occupied with worrying about something constantly. But oh well it clearly seems to be a big relief for Christina just to get this off her chest. Absolutely. And in the next scene you know, Melissa sent me, you know, please make a clip out of the scene where Christina's drunk. And I feel stupid. I didn't even realize she was like drunk or tipsy, probably. But then when I watched it again, it's so obvious that she's had a little to drink. You know, we're keeping our private life private, right? You're not talking Honey, about sex. Of course. Christina, are you a little bit. about our sex it, life? It, it, it's a natural thing. It was. A, it came up once, and it was just it. Uh, she brought it up. Well, what what exactly are you telling her? I mean, you're not saying that you're not enjoying it. No, no. Why would I tell her that? Wait, That's wait, but so I mean, dumb. You, you are, aren't you? I mean, I'm you've honey. been enjoying it. I mean, you're. Well, you're you've been re- satisfied. I'm yes. relaxed. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh huh. You're a satisfied. Lot. 
Yes. You sure? Yes. Wait a minute. Feeling sexy. What did you tell her? What did I tell her when? What? Why are you looking at me like that? I'm starting to get sweaty. What? Have you, have you been... faking it? <laughs> well, that doesn't look I good. I did not no, say clearly. that. I did not say that. Clearly, Maybe. She was drunk? I had no idea. It's that perspective, like listening to that gave me a whole different perspective considering... Me too. I figured she just had a drink or two at dinner because Gabby said, relax, you know, and like just the way she's reacting, I feel like seems like she's tipsy because she keeps telling him, have something to drink. And I got the idea like, oh, like you have. Um, (laughs) Not that I I went back and listened to like watched it and listened to it again. To me, it seems now it seems like obvious because the way she's speaking is not quite her normal way. And then I'm just so impressed at how subtle it is. I mean, clearly it's subtle enough that two of three of us <laughs> didn't even pick up on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yet I think like that's probably the level of drunk that she is, which is not very, but more than she usually is. Yeah, she's not a college kid on spring break or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then that uh, that she like calibrated her performance to that exact level. And I think it's really funny too. A lot oh, of the feeling sexy. <laughs> yeah. It's like I'm starting to get sweaty. What? Like she's all paranoid. And just her reaction is like that's <laughs> really funny I think my signs were number one when Adam came home she gave him a kiss that was like hilariously long for being in front of Gabby like she's like <laughs> mm. it was just like this really like macking on him kiss instead of a welcome home honey here's a professional little you know <laughs> peck and then when um, Gabby just kept professional kept, peck What's you know professional peck <laughs> Uh, you know, the level of kissing that's pro- like appropriate in front of, you know. I did like, not conduct myself in a professional manner. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, like, if my husband takes me to work or something, what is the oh. appropriate level of kissing him in the car goodbye before I get out of work to where I don't get fired from my job? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I meant by a professional peck. Like, a, okay, bye, baby. You know, like that, you know, just, just mm-hmm. that. But Christina was like, hey, welcome home. And then just like makes out with them in the kitchen. And then, um, you know, when Gabby kept saying, you need to relax. She was like, oh, oh, oh I need to relax. You know, and so the, it just. It, <laughs> I but told you he's got a good one. He's got a good I said that before. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Caleb's so right. It is so subtle, but it is. And I think it must be hard to portray tipsy in a believable way, like in a way that, and and so, but anyway, I really loved that. Maybe she was just super method and just like (laughs) got tipsy. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Let's shoot that scene last today, everyone. All right. (laughs) And I'm going to need a driver. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I thought that it really made sense because she might not have confessed all that to Adam otherwise. You know, she's so relaxed, which she's not used to feeling. She's used to feeling totally on edge and in control of everything. And she kind of tells him the very thing that she told Gabby not to tell him, you know. And and she it's like a big unburdening day yeah. for Christina. She needs. And I think they're ensuing fight? I mean, it's not even a fight really. Their discussion. I thought it was so interesting because like everyone has fair points. I feel bad for both of them. I feel bad that she 
confess this thing that she maybe didn't want to tell him. And I feel bad that he clearly, one thing I liked about Adam's reaction, there didn't seem to be too much wounded man pride about like, I give my baby an orgasm every time. (laughs) It seemed more like, I mean, there was a little bit of that, but it seemed more like he felt bad that he hadn't been satisfying her and he wants her to be satisfied and like if he's falling short he wants to know so that he can put in extra effort or something like what that's really a very generous like oh i want you to be enjoying it as much as i am it's no good if we're not both having a good time i have so many thoughts um i'll i'll go with my first thought which was the episode opens with you know them having sex and then her immediate reaction after is to like go through the list of all the things she's worried about and it's kind of played for you know comedic effect but since i'm like watching the show again so closely i remember that just a couple episodes ago Right after Adam and Christina have sex, he says to her, do you think I could nail Hattie's window shut? You know, something like that. And, <laughs> and you know, Christina was like, you weren't just thinking about that, were you? And he's like, no, of course not. And I thought, oh, well, good catch. well, thank you. I thought, well, you know, he does it too sometimes. So it's not like she's the only one who's sometimes distracted or or sometimes so full of worry that it permeates this this part of their relationship. And so I thought it was kind of interesting that it was portrayed in this episode like she is the only one. That's just part of, I would imagine, being a parent, you know, being married with children. It would be sometimes it's hard to turn that part of your brain off. Although to be fair, I think even when he had other things on his mind, he still achieved the big O. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Although, also to be fair, I don't think it's as difficult for men. To- I was just about to say that, but I wasn't <laughs> sure if that was a fair thing to say. But I'm glad, I'm glad you said it. I was thinking it too. Erin, <laughs> you look very thoughtful, very pensive. I guess what I'm thinking is, as a parent, talking to other parents is, it's not even about thinking of other things. It's just not even doing it in the first place oh. because you're just like, we have too many other things to do. And I'm so freaking tired at the end of the day that it's like, no, that is not on my mind. And so the fact that they even achieved such intimacy while being parents is a success. You know, I mean, I was talking about like how hard it is to like make them prioritize your relationship with your partners. And it's along the same lines where it's like the fact that they even got to that point is a big deal. He should just be so happy that he's getting some. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's like actually like a nice optimistic perspective on the whole thing. Like, hey, guys, you're doing better than you think you are. Give yourself a break. Yeah. No pink cards for them like the lessings. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You don't have to. They're not scheduling it yet, at least. I have a couple of thoughts um, because I loved that Sarah called it an act, but an act of generosity. That's what it seemed like to me. And I will just say, I once dated someone whose opinion on faking an orgasm was that it was more of a betrayal than cheating on someone. He was like, I would rather someone cheat on me than fake an orgasm. And I was like, that's just bonkers. Like, I give that up, Christina. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wait, what? who was this? Was this a person you dated? This is a person I dated, yeah. 
the person I, I yeah there's a winner <laughs> well and it's just I guess I could yeah, I could be funny if it was Mark <laughs> it wasn't Mark <laughs> no I don't think Mark would ever say that but I I it seemed to me like it was for this ex-boyfriend of mine so much about ego you know like it was this idea of not necessarily satisfying a person but like his ego would be so wounded if he found out that somebody was faking but what Sarah said I'm like but it's it's meant to be a kindness and maybe that's condescending or maybe that's not healthy and and maybe that's not the right thing to do but it's at least well-intentioned in a way that like infidelity isn't you know like it's so I thought that was a really interesting take and it really helped contextualize uh Adam's reaction for me because I did agree with Caleb that I I thought Adam was coming uh, uh Adam was coming at it from (laughs) sorry (laughs) I thought Adam was coming at it from a more um selfless perspective you know I I probably a little bit of wounded ego but more just he really loves his wife you know and and I thought it was kind of sweet have you ever faked an orgasm what just address the question please I don't know that it's a question I want to answer my sister just answer the question would you no I haven't had to cool wait wait why why are you asking no reason Oh, no, no. All right. Unless... I'm out of here. No, no, wait. I'm just kidding. Of course I have. And and if someone in your life has, that's okay, too. But you have. Yes, of course. Everybody has. I don't know. A couple different times. A couple different reasons. Well, can you name them? I mean, I don't... I I just don't get it. It's like... We don't want you to feel bad. God, this is just horrible. It's I mean, not horrible. What are you all in on this? It's not horrible. We're not all in on it. She shouldn't have told you, first of all. That breaks the code right there. Well, how am I supposed to tell? You can't tell, honey. It's fake. Sorry. Well, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I mean, why fake it at all? Because it's too long to explain in the moment. It's like you just kind of, you know, put on a happy face and just, you know, better luck next time. But it's a lie. Yeah, it's but an it's act. it's not a lie. It's it is an act, but it's an act of of, of something positive. It's a it's an act of generosity. It's a gift. You sound so much like Laura Lorelai right there. <laughs> yes. So Lorelai, I don't know why. Well, two things. When I'm having trouble in my sex life, I go to my sisters too. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Who, I I, I don't know. I'm close to my sisters, but I wouldn't ask either of them in a million years if they'd ever faked an orgasm. That's a really I don't want to know. I, I don't, you know, I... I wish them well in that area of their life. (laughs) And there's things that a brother has a right not to know. And then also I noticed in that scene, when they're talking about this, she calls him honey. You can't tell honey. It's fake. I'm like, I don't think I've ever called either of my sisters honey. And maybe it was supposed to be like part of her little patronizing bit. But it also, I I couldn't help but wonder if there was a little... A little of that going on. <laughs> a little of that crazy real life date in chemistry. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, oh, what's happening here? <laughs> but doesn't he have like, I don't know, a good friend or someone else that he can talk to about this rather than his sister? The Bravermans don't have friends. They only have That's each other. That's true. They just... You know, there were four, I watched the second time, I watched this episode twice, and the second time I watched it on DVD, 
And this episode had four deleted scenes. One of the scenes was all four siblings at like a diner Mm -hmm. discussing pretty much every storyline in the episode, but mainly orgasms. Oh my God. They were all in on it. Crosby was calling himself the O master. Ew. Yeah, it was kind of disturbing. It's just like, ah, what siblings sit around <laughs> having a meal and talking about orgasms with each other? Uh, maybe Berkeley siblings. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But Aaron, like you and your brother have never talked about anything so personal, have you? Like that? Me and my brother barely talk at all. So we don't <laughs> have a close relationship. So... I love my I brother. Would, I love my brother. I love oh, my brother. No, I was just going to say, me too, though. Like, I mean, I don't know if I would say we weren't close, but we're not, we're not close like that. You know, we don't, we don't talk about things like that. And if anything, I would think Adam would talk to Crosby. Mm, like if absolutely. he was going to divulge that part of his life to someone. Although maybe he wanted a female I think he wanted a woman's opinion because Crosby would well, just say... why not say, go ask your mom? Oh, I mean, God. like while we're just crossing crazy boundaries... <laughs> Like, just go go big or go home. <laughs> but if he asked... Can you imagine asking your mom if she's faking or Oh, that would be so disturbing. You know, when I was like 14, I had... And this is going to sound bad, but it's, uh, it's not. So here, uh, there's a preamble. But I had what I like to call a sexual awakening. All that means is that's the age I was when it occurred to me that people had sex, like in a way that wasn't just, well, that's how babies are made, right? But in a way like, oh, people like I go to school with have sex. Got it. Like, oh, my my mom and my dad probably had sex with people before they were married to each other. Whoa. Like, so I had this whole... (laughs) just dawning that happened. And so I did, I probably shouldn't tell you what my mom said, cause that's her story to share or not share with the world. Um, but I will say that when I was 14 years old, I did sit down with my mom at the kitchen table and I just asked her, I was like, when did you first have sex? And she answered me like, and I don't know if that's normal or not, but it's now I feel like that's a different question than have you ever faked an orgasm, which I have not asked my mother. Um, but you know, like I thought, I thought that was kind of, um, interesting to think about just like, yeah, what's too personal. What can you ask people? What can't you ask people what's on the table? And with Crosby, if, if Adam had asked Crosby, we know from that deleted scene, he would have just been like, Oh, I'm the O master. No one has ever faked it. You got to ask a woman, but it is weird to ask your sister. I I'm with you guys. A couple things. One, I think it's a little interesting in the realm of faking orgasms. You know, like there's that episode of Friends where Chandler fakes it and Monica is shocked that he fakes. She's like, guys can fake it? The one thing that's ours. It makes you realize, because I think that's probably true. Like there's no, aside from the like lack of physical evidence, shall we say, (laughs) if a guy doesn't get there. But guys are too selfish that they wouldn't ever fake it for the sake of their partner. Like Sarah said, the sense of it's a gift to be like, yeah, it's all right. Don't feel bad. Better luck next time. I feel like if a guy doesn't get there, it's like, wait, we're not done. Get back here. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Like that is the cue of this is done. I think that's why I find it upsetting when it's framed like it's this great betrayal. Women are deceitful. Yeah. 
maybe it's just a complex issue and there's more to it. You know, maybe uh, a truly healthy relationship, people are totally honest with each other. They don't, you know, that they work past the hurt feelings or the bruised ego or what have you. But I don't think it's this selfish, horrible act of betrayal. I, I, I don't think that. I think that maybe uh, women should learn to be more direct and to want more uh, from a sexual encounter. And maybe that would ultimately help the relationship because then the woman would want to have sex more often because <laughs> she would enjoy it, you know. And so there's there's something to that. But I, I don't think that it's this mean-spirited thing, which I think sometimes it's presented as, you know. I do think there's a selflessness to it, which I think is interesting. I agree. Well, let's perhaps move on to other subjects. <laughs> How about <laughs> it? <laughs> For me, this episode, if I had to pick an MVP, I think it would be Crosby. Oh my God, me too. He just had oh. so many. I mean, aside from his actual storyline was great. He just had all these little one-liners right off the bat when he goes to Julia's office and he walks into her door and says, We just lost our key witness in our Downey Smith trial. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> That was such good fake lawyer talk. I thought I wouldn't be able to come up with a one-liner that quickly. I'm good. And then I loved at the end of that scene after he opened the paternity test and Julia pointed out that he needed to tell the parents on his own. I loved when he said, I don't think you've read one of those books. I think that's all for show. <laughs> it just seemed like such a random dig. Yeah. You haven't read any of those. <laughs> That was very typical brother-sister talk right there, wasn't it? Like Much more so than other things in the episode, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, so Mark has often kind of teased about like Dak Shepard being on the show. He's always like, oh, I hate that guy. And I'm like, oh, man. And the, But he watched a bunch of this episode, you know, and he was like, He's wonderful, isn't he? And I said, he is. He is. He's, he's so charming. Yeah, and he's mm -hmm. like really funny and genuine and caring. I feel like this episode really gives us not just the funniest of Crosby, but like we, we see his big heart like on best display so far in the series. You know, he's not lying to Katie. You know, he's not doing any of the stuff that's kind of driven me crazy so far in the series. He's he's just like loves his son and he's nervous about telling his parents. And it's just like really heartwarming stuff. I love him. Oh my God, though. I'm sorry. But why does he hate Dax Shepard? Because has he listened to Armchair Expert? He is way <laughs> smarter than he comes across in like his stuff. I think Mark's knowledge of Dax Shepard was more rooted in the punked without a paddle era. And so... Move on, man. Move on. It's <laughs> so much better than you're, than you're like... You've got to... He has depth and he has very good... Okay. I, th I think I, I uh, am an I am like a big fan. That's Huge great because he's so <laughs> smart. And he have you guys listened to Armchair Expert? No. <laughs> okay. I listened to some to a few episodes. I agree, it's great. It, it really is great, and they have like such thought provoking discussions. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you have so much more than what I ever saw in your movies or shows, and you're just hiding this. <laughs> well, you know, I do think that's one of the most wonderful things about parenthood is it gave him like this platform to show his depth, because I think before that, a lot of his rules were, you know, kind of silly or like, you know, and who cares? Maybe he's, you know, they were funny, no disrespect or anything, but it's a really surprising 
beautiful performance. And um, I was surprised. I remember thinking, you know, I'm like, what is up with all these Emmy winning actors and also Dak Shepard, you know? And so it's, <laughs> it's when that preconceived notion might really work to the character's benefit, because I think it might, it might fill in some history that you can just assume like, oh, is that the kind of guy this character is? And I think it is supposed to be who we think he is. And then his real development is that he's growing up and his baggage might help fill some of that backstory. That's a really good point. Yeah, because you get the sense that his whole life people have been selling him short. He's been selling himself short. And so mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. And and he's been without a paddle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but when in Rome, I can't think of any others. <laughs> well, I loved in that scene with his parents, the first one, first of all, doing your laundry at your mom's is one thing. Having your mom do it for you, I think, is another thing in Tiger. He's 35 and she has to explain to him when you have a new red shirt, it's going to make the rest of your colors. I was like, how, how is this not information you have by now? Which, by the way, I actually laughed out loud when you said to Zeke. You just can't fight with a leaf blower? I was like, oh my God, that's so hilarious. Like, was that scripted? <laughs> Or did he just say that because his hair was a mess? He did. He did look like it. Yeah. I know. What's going on, Zeke? (laughs) You all right? (laughs) And it's like the middle of the day. I think he was napping. Was it the middle of the day? I don't know what time it anything like was. It. I guess it could have been. Yeah, uh, as we've established, we, I don't know when we, anything happened. Uh, in this yeah, episode. me neither. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I, I was like, that's hilarious. Also, Zeke in that scene reveals an opinion that uh, Melissa and I hold, which is what happened to Katie. She was a nice girl, Katie. Yeah, she was. Thank you, Zeke. Thanks, Zeke. She was a nice girl. <laughs> Oh, I I treated her like garbage, Dad. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a little unclear in this episode why none of the siblings will go with Crosby to tell the parents. Like, I get that they're not going to tell them for him, but he's like, oh, why don't you come with me? And everyone's like, absolutely not. (laughs) I think just going with him for like emotional support is completely out of the question. It's unthinkable. This is a family that asks each other about orgasms. They don't go with each other to talk to their parents, Caleb. There's certain boundaries that they cross. It and just don't seemed cross. a little strange to me. Like, sit next to you while you go through something difficult? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't even think about that. That's such a good point. It didn't occur to me when everyone was just like, you know, grow up. I was like, yeah. But now that you say that, I'm like, you're right. That wasn't unreasonable at all. They, they should just go with them. Which of the three do you think would be the best to go with him to break that news? That's a great question. Well, would it be Dudley Do-Right or Judge Julia? <laughs> Sorry, that's his <laughs> nicknames. I think... I don't know. That's a great question. I have to I think. I think I might say Adam just because Adam knew the longest. Mm. Although, was Julia the only one who had met him? Yeah, that's true. At the hospital. Well, I did think it was interesting that when he told them, well, wait, let me play Crosby Tells the Rents. <laughs> <laughs> I have a son. You what? I'm a father. So... You and crazy Katie hit the jackpot then, right? No, no, it's not. It's not crazy Katie and I. You shouldn't call her that. That's a little rough. Oh, um, you call her that. Huh? This is an, it's another woman from a few years ago who's a dancer. Uh-huh. And she was touring the Bay Area. And we <laughs> had some fun. 
and you know how I feel about dancers. No, she doesn't dance with a pole. She's like a ba you know ballet. Anyways, look, I didn't know she got pregnant, and then she showed up a few months ago with a boy. Uh, he's five years old. And you, you're serious? Yeah. I, yes. You're sure he's yours? I mean, you've had the test and everything. Yeah, I'm sure he's mine. He's um, he's amazing. I mean, you're you're gonna love him. He's really great. Crosby, you're a dad. Yeah, I know it's it's crazy, but I, I'm really taking this thing seriously. I, that's what I meant about a new stage in my life. Like, I, this is me now, Crosby the dad, and I'm gonna be more responsible and independent. Mom, please say something. You look like you're gonna. Does he look like you? Because you were just the cutest kid ever. <laughs> he he looks yeah he looks oh. like me. I'm just so happy for you, for all of us. God. I watched a panel on Parenthood, like, not long ago, and I don't remember which, which actor said it, but they're like, if Parenthood doesn't make you cry at some point during an episode, then you might want to check into whether you're a sociopath. And so <laughs> I, was like, I was, so this scene right here is where I'm like, I'm like, I'm not a sociopath because every episode I watch. And I was, oh, it was just so touching. It was just so touching. And then the mom's reaction was just like amazing. I loved that reaction. That was so beautiful. Me too. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell what Zeke's reaction was. I, I, I was kind of like, is he mad? Is he happy? What is he feeling right here? <laughs> like, I thought it was super interesting that he immediately asked if Crosby was sure and if he'd had the test, which was Julia's reaction. And in previous episodes, I feel like I've detected a real similar outlook on things between those two characters. And it seems like a nice subtle way of just reinforcing like, yeah, Julia is Zeke's miniature. Yeah. She's like the, I think she's the most like him of any mm. of the siblings. I mean, Six episodes in. <laughs> I'm going to make that assessment. Also, I thought it was strange. Crosby says Jasmine was on tour in the Bay Area. That's new information, right? Because I feel like in previous episodes, she, she lived said, oh, there. we've moved back. Yeah. Implying that she lived there. And I thought, well, is, where's she from? Is she from the Bay Area or was she touring there? What's going on? I'm excited for her character to get more fleshed out because I think she's yeah. such a great actress and like... This is a spoiler, I don't think, to say that I just remember her character being really dynamic and complex. And right now, like like Caleb said, she's just Jabbar's mom. You know, she just drops off Jabbar and we haven't seen too many shades from her yet. I feel like maybe they're figuring it out. They haven't fully decided who she is. Mm -hmm. Zeke reacts to learning that the son's name is Jabbar by going, what kind of a name is that? Which is the same as Sarah, which is like, you couldn't make up that name and it just made me wonder what kind of a name is Jabbar. So Jabbar is an Arabic word meaning giant or almighty. Huh. And with the definite article as Al-Jabbar, it is one of the names of God in Islam. Wow. So it is certainly not a made up name or like a kooky name. 
has a very, very significant Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is what I always think of. Like, I mean, I know that's part of his last name, not his first name, but, um, you know, not to get too nitpicky because I thought this whole episode was just gorgeous and that scene in particular was beautiful. I just, I don't really like, it it felt a little bit like a microaggression, like that white people keep saying what kind of name is Jabbar or like you couldn't make up that name. And, you know, when, when Crosby counters with what kind of name is Zeke, I loved that. It's Hebrew, meaning God's <laughs> strength, by the way. I love that you looked that up. <laughs> of course you did. But um, no, it reminds me of this scene uh, in the book. Maybe it's also in the movie, but I haven't seen the movie. Um, the Hate You Give, where um, Star's like white boyfriend is asking Star, who's black, um, and, and her family like about names, you know, saying, but you know, and this white boyfriend says something along the lines of that, that black people have like bizarre names and star took real issue with that. I love that. In fact, I think the whole car gave it to this guy who is well-meaning, but you know, that's such a microaggression to say that. And so, um, you know, they were like, well, the, the names you hear the most often in our society are white people's names. And so those seem like the normal names, but it's only because, those are often the most prominent people and just the, the people that you're the most familiar with. And so, you know, it was like names from our culture are just as normal. They're just not normalized in, you know, society. And I know I'm paraphrasing. I probably should have looked up that part and like read it or something like a good podcaster would. But I, I don't know. I just thought it's such a small thing, but probably Jabbar's going to get that his whole life. And that's not fair. You know, if, if a kid is just named, you know, Melissa, I've never gotten that. Nobody's ever called my name strange. And maybe it's very realistic again, but I, I don't, I don't know. I just think if people can't tell yet, when you don't know something, I think it's fun to find out. So when you say, what kind of name is Jabbar? I think there's nothing wrong with having not heard the name Jabbar. If you haven't heard it, you haven't heard it. That's fine. But go look it up because, you know, as I discovered, There's a very obvious meaning. It's not pulled out of thin air. And, you know, frankly, even if a name is pulled out of thin air, what do you care? Well, and I just feel like there's a difference between saying, like, oh, that's an unusual name and saying what kind of name. Like, there's judgment in what kind of name. You know, there's Mm -hmm. there's we we have a real responsibility to be a little careful. Now, to be fair, Zeke doesn't even know that Jabbar's black. So, you know, that he doesn't find that out until later. But still, you know, just some sensitivity sometimes. I thought the scene at the end when the parents met Jabbar was really cute. And I thought Zeke and Camille both seemed really believably good with kids. Like the way they were interacting with him, I was like, ah, you both have a lot of grandkids and you know how to be around little kids. Mm -hmm. And Jabbar was just like a prince. Mm -hmm. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Braverman. Oh, Oh, yeah. What an angel. Mm -hmm. Another great Crosby line that means nothing, but it made me laugh was when they give Jabbar the bike and Zeke warns Jabbar. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't want you doing any wheelies because your dad broke three teeth and a lot of brain cells. You know, don't remind me. I gained glory, though. (laughs) (laughs) I gained glory. Like that had to have been a Jack Shepard ad lib, I think. I loved it. And then I also just speaking of adorable, I thought. Jabbar's little woohoo's. Adelaide, come on, Jabbar. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I'm so glad you cut that out. We're so cute. Delicious. All right. Well, let's move on to Sarah. Oh. 
the first thing I wrote down in this whole episode was Sarah is right. School does start early, but 830 is not that early. No. (laughs) My grade school, at least for part of it, started at 725. Oh, my God. That's nuts. It's like, that's early. We start at eight. For real? We were going to school at 725 in the morning? Uh, towards the end of my elementary school, it switched oh, to that. okay. Well. And we got out at 220. What? That's some quick learning. <laughs> yeah. That's some, get in, get out. Yeah. I did love that Drew in the back seat was like, shouldn't we be the ones complaining? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But I, I feel, I feel Sarah completely. If I had to get up early in the morning to take the kids to school, that's Brandon's job because I don't do mornings very well. Like 100% <laughs> don't do mornings. I felt like Mark's hair was a lot better in this episode. <laughs> the last episode, it would just always looked like wet or greasy or something. Amber's hair though, it's like super huge. I, I, I either this it. was kind of new this episode or I just didn't notice it, but it looked almost 80s ish. It was cool. I love her whole style. I noticed in the scene where she goes and talks to Mark in his room, I was trying to identify since we have a poet on the podcast. We always do. <laughs> I saw a piece of a poem on the board and it was Jukebox Love Song by Langston Hughes. For a little moment of culture, I found a reading of that poem. Oh, I love that. And I really liked it. I could take the Harlem night and wrap around you. Take the neon lights and make a crown. Take the Lenox Avenue buses, taxis, subways, and for your love song, tone their rumble down. Take Harlem's heartbeat, make a drum beat, put it on a record, let it whirl. And while we listen to it play, dance with you till day, dance with you. My sweet brown Harlem girl. I thought it was beautiful. That is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I wish I could say who that was reading, but I couldn't find it anywhere. But he's got quite a voice. Yeah, that was, I love that poem. Thank you for sharing it. Mm -hmm. I noticed the names written on the chalkboard. I noticed Langston Hughes and Edgar Allan Poe. And there was one more. Now I can't remember. Jack Kerouac. Oh, really? I'm like, ah. And then I think Henry David Thoreau was on another board. Because I also wrote down, what unit are they in? <laughs> in which all these people are being studied Just the men the unit, time. apparently. I'm like, where there was, a, there was a poster of Emily Dickinson, I noticed. I'm like, all right, great. But the thing that was distracting to me was I was like, why the hell does he have a chalkboard? Everyone has a whiteboard now. And it was 2010, but I had a whiteboard in 2010. But then I guess you wouldn't He's get... He's a hipster. Okay. That must be it. It's retro. <laughs> Still. He, he likes the vintage. I, I can't imagine the school was like, everyone gets a whiteboard except for you. Maybe he requested to keep his chalkboard because it's keeping it real. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was to the point that, it, you know, it was part of the episode. Like, oh, I guess because he's got chalk on his jacket. I'm like, why is she even pointing that out? That's so, anyway, <laughs> like so petty. That's what kids do. If I do anything, the students will be like, oh, you changed your hair. You're doing this. You're wearing that. Um, you've got, yeah. Oh, the, the, they they're very abs- chalk on your shoulder and stuff, huh? If I had any, more likely I'd have a whiteboard marker on my arm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Maybe I didn't get that they were like that. 
I just know that they're observant. That's uh, <laughs> I used to tell myself they won't notice. Like if I'm self-conscious about like a pimple, they're not noticing it. No, all day long, people are just staring at your face. They notice everything because um, the, <laughs> they, they tell me what they notice. One girl was oh. like, did you get a tattoo on your foot? And I was like, what? And she said, I've just noticed that you've had a Band-Aid on your foot every day for like weeks. And I said, no, I was in a car accident. <laughs> but she noticed. <laughs> anyway, I was just. So, wow. Yeah. So in this episode, Mark flat out asks Sarah out. I'd like to see you sometime. Away from the ivy, away from the gargoyles, away from here. Are you asking me out on a date? Yes. Mm. Well, uh, I don't want to go out on a limb here, but I'm guessing if the headmaster won't let a kid be 30 seconds late for a test, he'd probably frown on a teacher dating a mom. Yeah, we, here we are <laughs> That's good. You want to hear something crazy, though? So I was looking up, because I obviously there's, for any Gilmore Girl fans, there's a parallel between single mom Lorelai dating Rory's English teacher. English Max, teacher, even. And single mom Sarah dating Amber's English teacher, Mark. That clip, when he actually asks her out, is from season one, episode six. Whoa. Of Gilmore Girls. That's crazy. So they have like the exact same timeline. Also, might I add... Where's Jim? Yeah. Last we saw, she returned to him after having broken up with him. So did they reconcile or was the lasagna just not special enough (laughs) to make it work? I I know. I kind of hate that we got that last tag. Like if she had just not gone back to his house at the end of that episode, then we wouldn't be asking where's Jim. We'd be like, they're broken up. They're done. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't know, but I guess they're done because she's contemplating going out with Mark and she obviously wasn't very into Jim. So anyway, here's actually Mark asking Sarah out. I really like you. And Sarah, can I get another drink down here, please? Just um, one second. I'm sorry. Go no, on. That's fine. You know, I've been thinking about you um, since we met, and you, you just you, you make me laugh, and you make me feel good, and and I just feel Sarah, like there's something. I'm so sorry. Don't I'm please. Sorry. You don't. In a second. Okay. After you okay. Take care of okay. So I um, I just sense that there's this connection, even though you, you know I. Whatever. I fall asleep I, when you try to count to my age. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Despite that, I. Uh, uh, I Teach your daughter. Or... I have a daughter. <laughs> um, so I, I, I wanted to give you this. Um, and I know that texting is the thing that most of the kids are doing nowadays, but I think there's something more romantic about um, pen and paper. Uh, but don't open it right now. Uh, I'm going to go. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was nice to see you. And just follow the directions. All right, teach. Um, all right. I am going to go. I like your seahorse. Thanks. Nice to see horse you. I ship them so hard. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love them, and I always have. Um, I think the way he asks her is so direct and endearing and honest, you know, just to say... Wait, yeah. giving someone a piece of paper and saying, read this when I'm gone is direct? <laughs> <laughs> but before he gives her the paper, he says... Um, I really like you. You make me laugh and you make me feel really good. And I'm like, those are just kind things to say to a person. Okay. You know, I don't think he even once says you're beautiful, which nothing wrong with telling someone that they're pretty, but I think it's so nice that 
him asking her how has like entirely to do with their connection and how, you know, I just think there's something really beautiful about that. Uh, yeah, the note I thought was actually, I was torn. I was like, is it cute or is it disappointing? Because him saying pen and paper, more romantic. I was like, I hadn't remembered what the note said from last time I watched the show. <laughs> is it, it going to be a love letter? Oh, no. no. <laughs> I guess that's cute. You know, he's just asking her out for the first time. So maybe don't get too dramatic. But anyway, the, what he said to her, I thought was just lovely. Well, so I think I know what your answer is going to be based on what you just said. <laughs> but I, I wonder, like, from a, the point of view of a teacher, yeah, is that ethical to ask a parent out? I mean, Sarah is single. He's not Sarah's teacher. But anyway, I want, is there any ethical dilemma there? Like, hey, man, you shouldn't do that. I don't think so. Because I, I mean, like you said, it's not like he's, you know, he's not asking out his own student or something. I, I don't know. It's hard for me. That's a really good question. I've never been single as a teacher. I've been with Mark the whole time I've been a teacher. So that's never occurred to me. Although now I'm thinking if a parent asked me out if I were single, I think that would probably make me really uncomfortable. So, huh, that's interesting. Tricky. Hmm. Yeah. Aaron, you got a thought on that? I mean, you meet people through various methods and if you're trying to like find a partner and it's your kid's teacher, I don't know. I don't know that that would be totally out of line. Yeah. Dating a student is completely unethical. But <laughs> yeah. And then marrying them. Or, anyway, you know what I'm getting at. I th- I think that okay, I'm I'm coming up with the real answer because Aaron made very good points. They met first, you know, they met on the front stoop of the school, but she assumed he was another parent at first and they immediately had a connection. They clicked right away. I think that makes it different. If Sarah had not been kind of, you know, flirty in return, if they hadn't had banter, if he had just like locked eyes with her and been like, she's hot, I'm going to ask her out. But like the whole reason he even knew she worked there was because she was like, I work here. (laughs) She told him that. And then she said, why did I tell you that? I'm trying to impress you. And then he went there and they had a flirty exchange. Like he didn't just ask her out out of the clear blue sky is what I'm saying. They had built rapport. So I think because it was fairly obvious to him that she liked him somewhat, I, I think that, you know, that to me feels different than him meeting her once, her showing no signs of interest and in him pursuing her or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I also found it interesting, based on his life, driver's license in the last episode, we guessed that he was 27, and she says he's 26, so he like hasn't had his birthday yet this year. But if he's 26, and if I'm correct, if Sarah is 38, and if Amber is 15, he's closer in age to Amber than to Sarah. Yep. Obviously, it's more ethical for him to date Sarah than Amber, so <laughs> it's not really much of an issue. I just thought it was interesting. But... You know, in the episode where Amber plagiarized Sarah's paper, yeah, she and Sarah are talking about Mark and Amber says something about like, oh, because he's so cool, right? About Mr. Sear. Yeah. And then in this episode, she pretends that she was just talking about how bad Mondays are when Mark comes along. We're supposed to be gathering that Amber likes Mark, right? I think so. It seemed like, isn't the obvious ethical dilemma here actually that Sarah needs to ask Amber about it? Yes, I do think that's true. Like, would you be uncomfortable if I dated your teacher? Yes. I think it's okay for him to ask and I think it's okay for them to date, but I do think run it by Amber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting because I looked up that Gilmore Girls episode in which Max asks Lorelai out. In that exact exchange, she goes on 
at length about all the reasons why it would be complicating for Rory. And it seems like Lorelai is way more selfless in the moment than Sarah is. It seems like Sarah is just instantly flattered with anyone saying something nice to her. And Lorelai is like, I'm going to be at such and such coffee shop on such and such day. And I suppose I couldn't stop you from showing up if you wanted to, but I'm not meeting you there. And that's after like literally two minutes of her rattling off all the reasons it might be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. there's that. Yeah. I thought it was really funny in that last scene with Sarah and Amber when Amber walks in and Sarah asks her, Where have you been? School. Where were you? Just tell me. <laughs> I thought it was subtly hilarious that she just assumes school is a lie. Like obviously you weren't there. All right. So do we do we have more to say about Mark and uh, um, Lorelai? <laughs> Mark and Sarah. I mean, she does agree to go out with them and they have their first kiss, which I think is adorable. But of course, I'm super biased. I just think they're precious. I, I don't I know do why too. you do. OK, it's not just me. What do you like? I like them a lot. What do you guys like about them? What do you think is so cute? Because I totally am there. Jason Ritter. Yeah, he's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and just their their sense of humor. Yeah, definitely. They just have it. That banter. They make each other laugh. Like when he said that, like, I feel like I've seen other shows where somebody says, I just feel like there's a connection. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I see no chemistry or connection here. But with them, I'm like, yeah. It's palpable. They do. Um, so I, I mm-hmm. just didn't, it didn't seem like a line to me because I'm like, no, clearly they have a connection. Yeah, they definitely do. Well, the remaining sibling is Julia. And in this episode, she's dealing with more Raquel drama. She also sends Crosby to the play group to observe Joel. And I thought it was really touching how impressed he was with Joel's, you know, super dad abilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked when he was telling Julia about the playgroup and she was kind of pressing him for details. I liked that he said, oh, but you've got nothing to worry about. I actually believed her when she was like, oh, I know. Yeah. And I thought it was nice that it wasn't, I was like, this is not jealousy or like concern that her husband's going to do something wrong. This is like outrage at a fellow parent's behavior. And I thought that was more interesting than like the jealous woman. Although I don't know, later she says that she she'd been jealous of Raquel, you know, and she was like, I thought I was insane for being jealous of her. You let me think that I was insane. And so I was like, really torn because this whole time I've thought she hasn't been jealous, more uncomfortable, you know, more just like aware that this woman is interested in her husband and it's not appropriate and she doesn't like it, but she's not sure what to do. And she trusts her husband, but it's like a tricky thing. I don't know. It's such a fascinating storyline, I think, because because it doesn't go the typical soap opera route of Joel was having an affair. It's so much subtler and more nuanced than that. So yeah, but I actually think he did something very wrong. I think he should have told her that his wife, that, that Raquel tried to kiss him months ago and he's still hanging out with Raquel all the time. Even if he's, as he says, shut it down, which I believe... I would not like not knowing for months that someone tried to kiss my husband. And even if he handled it, I feel like I'd have a right to know that. Absolutely. I don't know what he told her at the end of that day. Like, hey, how was your day? How was the playgroup? He intentionally had to have left it out when she was like, how was your day? And everything like 
Yeah. Oh, the play group was great. Um, by the way, Raquel tried to kiss me. Um, but also, <laughs> you know, yeah, he totally should have to- told her. That's what looks suspicious. That's what I think. I, you're right. Yeah, I agree. I understood the reason he gave. Like, I didn't think it was like, how could you have possibly thought that? Mm-hmm. But I think he was wrong. Yeah. To think that. Well, and if a relationship is built on trust, which is a cliche, but it's also true. The fact that he hid that from her is also a violation of trust. You know, like, it's not just about not making out with other women when they try to make out with you. It's it's also about saying, this happened, what should we do? Because he kind of left her out of the decision-making process of how do we handle this? And, you know, Raquel's still, like, over at their house all the time. The, in the pilot episode, she's over there with Harmony baking cookies with Joel when Julia's not home. And, you know, I, I believe Joel that nothing's going on, but that's a little uncomfortable that he's still spending all this time basically alone with her while their daughters are playing and she came on to him. And, you know, just because he says he shut it down with Julia not know. I mean, it'd be totally different if he told Julia and Julia's like, I trust you. You handled it. Hang out with her all you want. I, I it, it'll be fine. But not telling Julia and still continuing to hang out with her in close proximity like that. That's tricky. I don't I don't really like that. I also think it would be hard well, being a stay-at-home dad would be hard just because these play dates, I don't know. It would be awkward to be alone with a dad like that without like a third or beyond person there. Like it yeah. it would feel funny. <laughs> like this feels awkward that we're spending this time alone. Maybe that's like totally sexist and stuff, but these stay-at-home dads have to get their kids out socializing somehow, but I don't know how that would be played. When Julia says, What if I was at work every day with a guy who hit on me? In the moment, I thought, that's a really good point. But when I actually thought about it, I did kind of think, then what? What would happen? Joel would be allowed to insist that you quit your job? which I feel like is kind of what she is saying. Yeah. You need to have no contact with her. I totally get why she is feeling that way, but it just did seem like, oh, maybe this is not the perfect analogy. Yeah, absolutely. But I do still agree that, yeah, he should have said something. The cover-up is worse than the crime. And, like, how dismissive is she of, like, Sydney having this really good friend and this bond with this little girl where she's like she'll make other friends i'm like you're just gonna rip this friend away from her because i don't know you need to figure out your adult stuff instead of putting it on the kids like yeah and then she loses her friend and she doesn't understand why i mean they're still i mean it's not just like oh these kids their friendship doesn't matter they're they're people kids are people too you have to (laughs) Let them have relationships that you don't just play with. It's real. It hurts when you lose a friend, even if you're five years old. If they move away, it still hurts. I've been there. Like I had a friend move away in second grade and it it was devastating to me. So I was like, why are you not putting any consider? Well, I guess later she like sees the two together and she like considers it and tries to rise above it. I think that's what she's doing. I think so. 
Yeah, I thought good for her. Yeah, like when she was talking to Joel and she was being so dismissive, I just thought, well, <laughs> you know, why are you doing that? Why is that not a consideration in your mind? And then it did become a consideration. But It was funny. I was watching that scene and I'm like, I think they're both wrong because I thought Joel was wrong not to tell her sooner. And I thought Julia was wrong to try to keep the friends apart. And I think that maybe Julia was like overcorrecting because she felt so out of control. You know, I think that maybe if Joel had approached her right away and said, I have to tell you this, Raquel Mm -hmm. tried to kiss me, but I shut it down. She knows. I don't think anything like that's ever going to happen again. I wonder if Julia's reaction still would have been, I don't want that woman in my life. Like, I think Julia might have been really mad at Joel and like transferred it. Because if, if it were me, I would have felt betrayed, not by this random woman I don't care about, but by my husband who I thought I could trust, who wasn't telling me something I really deserved to know. And so I think if you had all the information and then you felt like you had some control over, okay, together, how do we handle this? I don't think she would have been so harsh. And I think she was just so mad and, and hurt that she wanted to rectify the situation by doing something dramatic. That's kind of what I think. And then I think at the end, when she saw them together, she remembered her priorities and that she does think her daughter's a person, you know, and that she, that their friendship matters. But, Mm -hmm. and I'm really glad she came to that realization, but I think it makes sense that in the moment she was so hurt that she was like, I want her out. I don't care what it takes. I had one other problem with that scene, which I need to play a little bit of it to explain. How come you didn't tell me? I didn't want things to get weird. I thought I was insane for being jealous of her. You let me think that I was insane. Harmony is Sydney's best friend, Julia. And you're using our daughter as your excuse for not Yeah, because it's the truth. Okay, I was really distracted because I found the music in that scene to be so derivative of American Beauty. Whoa. You're right. And like that is an oft imitated sort of score. And I don't know if Thomas Newman, who scored American Beauty, was the first person to do it. Maybe he was imitating someone. Because I know several other places where I've heard music that's clearly imitating that. But probably because I'm a musician, it kind of pulled me out of this scene just a little bit. Well, one thing I've enjoyed in this podcast frequently, the emotional high points that we will pull out as clips and play on the podcast. It's nice to hear them because then I will notice the music that's playing underneath them. And it's almost always so beautiful. Like when Crosby tells the parents, I noticed the music in that scene in this episode, but only when I was just listening to it. And it's like, ah, that's gorgeous. And to me, that feels like what you want something that is enhancing the scene without you even realizing it. This was something that I felt like was almost detracting from the scene because I realized it. I love American Beauty, but it's been so long since I've seen it that I, I didn't I didn't put it together. But once you played it, it felt pretty obvious to me. That aside, I thought it was still a really good scene. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I really, really love it when shows have these storylines that are about the 
the subtleties of what can be complicated about a relationship because so often they go the soap opera route of, of just a full blown affair, you know, or, or, or just something really, really dramatic. And I'm like, I don't think that's what most marriages are about. I'm, I don't mean to misspeak, but I think most marriages, it's more little conflicts like that. Like, how do you handle that? Someone hits on you. You didn't do anything wrong in the moment, but it was more comfortable not to tell your wife. That's a really riveting conflict to me because that can happen to almost anyone, even really good people and and people who love each other very much. It's so easy for something like that to kind of form a wedge. I don't know that I've known anyone personally who's had someone in a plague group try to make out with their spouse though. I don't know. Like, I think the real issues that happen in marriage don't often happen on shows like how come on every show everyone just doesn't have money problems <laughs> like you never hear like you racked up a whole bunch of credit card debt and I don't know how to work through this shit it's always like somebody kissing somebody else or romantic love problems which I don't really feel like happens a lot in marriage where you're truly committed to each other sometimes I do feel like no matter what show it is it seems to go that direction rather than like the real things that happen I could see that yeah I don't know and maybe that's because that does not make good television (laughs) I think it would make good tv though I think it would I worked on a musical called A Catered Affair, which was based on a movie. And I think the movie was based on a play that was put on TV. Anyway, it was set in the 50s. And it's this couple in the Bronx. They have two kids and their son has just died in Korea. And the government sends them a check. Bereavement benefit, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And the whole story is them all arguing about what they're going to do with this money. And then that conflict just blows up every single relationship. The marriage, the mother-daughter, the daughter and her fiancé, the fiancé's parents with the daughter's parents. Mm -hmm. It's all about money, and yet none of it's about money. The money exposes all the other things. I think it's great drama. Wow. Aaron makes a really good point about about it not be, it being so realistic because I was thinking over the course of like decades together, it makes sense that perhaps people would find the people in the marriage like attractive, you know, or, or you know, like things like that could happen. And I think Maybe more often than not, that happens without it delving into an affair. But that's probably not the number one marital conflict. Um, You know, money is. Money is the number one reason for divorce. I know that. And so that's a good point. I was thinking when Mark and I first started dating, somebody tried to kiss Mark at a, a bar. And I was just in the bathroom. And I, like, came out and I saw him actually, like, not physically push her away, but, like, you know kind of rebuff rebuff yes that's the right word but we weren't married with like a kid you know we we had been dating for a year or something but I still saw that happen and it was nice to see his reaction too but it, it was like a weird thing where I'm like oh yeah you're cute girls think you're cute what, what do we do with that <laughs> so it's it's an interesting thing so like I mentioned there were four deleted scenes I already talked about one of them, which was all the siblings eating together in which they discussed the fake orgasm thing. They also discussed Sarah dating Mark 
And they discussed this plot line that was kind of completely taken out of the episode, which was, I think if I have the timeline correct, after Crosby tells Camille, she starts like hounding him, asking how she can help. She wants to help. He says she called him like eight times in one day. And there's a second scene where Zeke comes to Crosby's houseboat. And the gist of the scene is, don't be so hard on your mom. Let her help. In that houseboat scene, Zeke reveals that he pays half the rent on Crosby's Oh, wow. Houseboat, which I thought was an interesting detail. And then the third scene involves Crosby going to Camille at the parents' house where she is painting. And he apologizes to her for rebuffing her <laughs> offers of help. I also thought something interesting in that scene, when he says, dad came to see me about this, Camille like throws down her paintbrushes and she goes, Ugh, he did the exact opposite of what I asked him to do, referring to Zeke. Wow. And I thought, oh, I think that's the first glimpse into their marriage that we've seen that wasn't like totally positive. I feel like up to now they've been like the rock. No, because remember um, Sarah found the condoms in Zeke's, you know, and <laughs> that is, yeah, that's a pretty big one. Oh, and he flat out says, your mom and I have been having some problems. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the fourth scene was between Adam and Gabby. And it was him kind of trying to like set the record straight oh, with her. No. That, oh, I don't know what you heard, but I do satisfy. Oh, God. Christina. No. And it was weird. That was one that I was like, I'm really glad this was deleted. It also felt like it was kind of introducing some romantic tension between them. Ugh. I think that was unintentional. Oh I don't think gosh. it was supposed to do that. But I felt like, are we supposed to think that maybe he finds her attractive or she finds him attractive? And so I'm glad that was gone. But she also, in that scene, ends up revealing to him that 80% of couples with a child with Asperger's get divorced. Oh. Mm. And that kind of scares him. I feel like, because I was I was trying to decide during that Christina confides in, in Gabby scene, I was like, is this so completely inappropriate or is it just human? And then I thought, I guess it's both. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's normally okay to talk to people who like are helping your child or working for you, um, like personal details about your sex life. But I think because she was basically melting down and did it accidentally and not in a like, let's pour some wine and talk sex, you know, not like that. I think because she revealed it the way she did, I totally got it. And I loved how Gabby handled it. You know, she was like, no, 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 it's fine. You know, and was really kind. But see, as, as pure as that scene is, a scene with Adam explaining he's actually good in bed makes me yeah. so grossed out. I can't even handle it. It's like, I'm so glad they cut that because that is just about male ego. And that's making this young woman incredibly uncomfortable, I imagine, yeah. just to prove something about himself. Like, who cares? Let your wife confide in somebody. She desperately needed it. She's, it made her feel much better. And, and don't make it about you. It's really not. It may seem like it's about him because it's about the sex thing, but it wasn't. It wasn't about him. And I think that's kind of a gross behavior. Uh, so I'm really glad they cut that. <laughs> I had an opinion. Well, not. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agree. I feel like it was appropriate for her to confide in her. And I felt it. Like, I have felt so tense and, like, so like I want to talk about something that I don't know who to talk to about it and then someone like genuinely asks how are you and it's like blah you know <laughs> like, yeah 
spit it all out, even if it's maybe inappropriate for the relationship. But I don't know. I could see that happening. I could see that happening for sure. I also feel like of all the people she could tell, there is some expectation of like confidentiality with Gabby. I mean, like Aaron, you're not a behavioral aide, but you are a nurse. You're working with people often in very dramatic moments in their life. If someone divulged something to you, isn't there like a professional ethical Absolutely. understanding of like, ah, that's not for me to go blabbing to the whole world. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Like we, there's all sorts of laws about it and how you can get sued and in trouble and everything. I mean, it's been complicated at times just when there's like, for instance, mom has a sexually transmitted disease that the dad doesn't know about. Oh no. We know but the dad doesn't know. And so us having to kind of mince our words when dad is around to try not to release that information. But then you're like, he should know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that's the kind of thing that I feel like I've had to deal with was just my ethical opinion on the whole thing not getting involved with that and how easy it would be to just kind of let that slip in a moment maybe not all marital conflicts are nuanced and subtle (laughs) maybe sometimes they are full-blown affairs (laughs) oh no wow yeah well if i had to identify a running theme through this episode I think it would be there. I felt like there were several admissions or confessions in this episode. Yeah. Um, Christina to Gabby, Christina to Adam about faking it. Crosby to his parents about Jabbar. Joel to Julia about this situation with Raquel. And then Mark and Sarah kind of back and forth with their feelings with each other. A lot of confessing in this episode. I got to say, you're totally right. I hadn't really put my finger on it, but I love that. It makes me wish the episode weren't called The Big O because while that's a provocative title, it makes it sound like the most important thing that happens in this episode is sex. And it's really not. It's not at all. And so I think, I think you know, something about confession would have been maybe... Maybe the O is the shape of the mouth of the people hearing the news. Oh! oh. <laughs> that's The Big O. <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) Well, you should totally like us on Facebook, Parenthood Pals, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Parenthood Pals. You can also find us on our website at parenthoodpals.com. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you, Erin, for being with us. Yay, thank you, Erin. Absolutely. This was so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.